Hey, hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heat is Gonna Heat. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about my favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. Uh, little apologies, didn't get the pod out yesterday like I had planned. Uh, had a little bit of a Christmas hangover in terms of getting back to work, but I'm back today at least, and fortunately I did not miss any Miami Heat games yesterday. So, as usual, we will go through the last week of Heat games, including the Christmas Day game. Four games gotta get through real quick. Uh, middle segment for this one, do something a little bit different. I'm going to look back at the year in retrospect uh, and just, just see what this last year of Miami Heat basketball was like for all of us. And then going forward as usual, we'll look ahead to next week's games and see how things go. So let's get, jump right back into it because, again, four games. Uh, Miami, over their la- since the last podcast, they have went 3-1 and one to bring their overall record 18-12. Again, positive week. You'll take it every time. And doubly so when the only loss is a close one to one of the best teams in the league. Uh, so we will start there, actually. Miami hosting the Minnesota Timberwolves, not Monday, Christmas, but the previous Monday, in a game that the Heat lost 108-112. to uh, Looking at the injury report going into that game, Kyle Lowry was listed out. We already knew that last week. Uh, for a rest, I mean, it, by all means, do deserved it after helping us through all the injuries uh, through most of November and December. And then uh, Kevin Love ended up getting the starting nod in place of Kyle Lowry, which then moved Caleb Martin to the two. So a little bit of like a weird custom lineup, but it, it, it makes sense versus Minnesota Timberwolves with Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns. They have a two-big lineup. If you got to tweak your starting lineup, might as well tweak it in such a way that you maybe match up a little bit bigger uh, you know, have Kevin Love against Gobert, and then have Bam, Hound, Carlinthe Towns around on the perimeter. Uh, for the recap of the game itself, though, after some back and forth to start, the Heat broke out on a 12-0 run, ended the first up 11, so, you know, great start there. They would extend their lead to about 18 or so in the second, but the Wolves, to their credit, did respond, closing well, so the, the second quarter ended up being, well, not sorry, not a wash, Heat won the second quarter by one to be up 12, scoring 66 points in the first half against the NBA's number one defense. Unfortunately, it would not last. Wolves tightened their defense coming out the gate in the third quarter. Miami only scoring 17 points as their lead dwindled from plus 12 to plus 6. And then in the fourth itself, an early 7-0 run got the Wolves the lead. It would go back and forth, tied at 97 with four minutes left. And then the difference to this game to me came down to those last four minutes where Anthony Edwards just went off and the Heat did not have an answer for it on defense, and they could not match him on offense. And ultimately, the Heat ended up losing the game by four points. Uh, player of the game for this one, though, I will actually give to Tyler Hero in his first game back. I mean, he was great. Team high, 25 points, three rebounds, two assists with two steals on 10-18 from the field. 1-6 from three-point range, 4-4 four four from the free-throw line, had 10 points in the first quarter, another 7 in the second to be at 17 by halftime, though he would only score 8 in the second half. So there's two things I could maybe criticize Tyler for here. One would be the three-point shooting, 1-6, of six, could have been a little bit better. And then the other is, and I'm not the only one, I think it's uh, Tiffany Meeks from Miami Heat Beat has been on this as well. He might be spending too much of his energy in the first half and not have enough in the second half or to help close the game in the fourth. As evident here, he could not match Anthony Edwards shot for shot. And that is tough. Anthony Edwards is a phenomenal player. But, 
you know, th- there's the hypothetical where maybe if Hero had paced himself a bit better, he could have matched Edwards bucket for bucket in the fourth, and maybe Miami could have come out with this one. Uh, stats for this game, this was an interesting game from the standpoint of there was, like, no really one big blown area. It was just losing on a bunch of margins here and there. So, like, for example, Heat lost turnovers by two. They lost it 15 to 13. They lost offensive rebounding by three, not, uh, nine to 12. Uh, free throw attempts by one, 18 to 19. Field goal percentage by like 2%, 47, 49. Again, no one area really killed the Heat by themselves, but you add up all those little margins, and that's how you get to, you know, again, a very close four point loss. And then honorable mention before we get out of this game, uh, Bam Adebayo also made his return. Looked great. 22 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal, a block, on 10-22 from the field, 2-3 from free throw range. Though he did have 4 turnovers, and from the efficiency, 10-22 from the field, that was primarily because he was going maybe a bit too aggressively against the Wolves' bigs. But that's a problem we'd rather have. Again, we always rather have Bam maybe too aggressive than not as aggressive. Moving on, that was fortunately Miami's only loss of the week, so great stuff talk to talk about from here on out. Uh, next game was at Magic last Wednesday, a game that the Heat won 115-106. to 106. Uh, Looking at the injury report going into this game, Kyle Lowry would be back, which would be great, but Jimmy Butler uh, would then go out, listed with a left calf strain, and he has been out ever since, so... Maybe a little bit concerning, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. For for this game and for the remainder of those games, uh, the interesting thing has been Jaime Jaquez Jr., the supposed like next incarnation of Jimmy Butler for the Miami Heat. He got the starting nod into Jimmy's role and, and has flourished. But again, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Last thing for injury report going into that Magic game, uh, Kevin Love was out, so Thomas Bryant got the backup nod. Just, again, it's, it's interesting for me. You know, seeing who gets that backup nod, it seems sometimes it seems to be Bryant, sometimes it seems to be Orlando Robinson. I'd imagine it depends upon how well they're keeping themselves prepared behind the scenes, which Spolster sees, and we don't. But recap for the game th- itself. Uh, very tightly contested start, saw no major runs or leads, as, but the Heat were up one after the first quarter. Similar story throughout the second, be, the game being tied at 38 until the Heat went on a 20-2 run afterwards to take an 18-point lead. The the two teams would exchange some buckets down the stretch, but the Heat would keep that 18-point lead going into the half. Then the Heat were able to keep their distance in the third quarter, up 17 going into the fourth, and then built a little bit upon it to be up 23 with five minutes left. And then in, in traditional Miami Heat fashion, uh, they gave up a 13-0 run <laughs> to cut it down to 10, but... But they at least waited until it was late enough in the game where by the time it got the league cut down to 10, there was only a minute left. So not good, but not detrimental. Uh, player of the game for this one, I'm also giving to Tyler Hero. 28 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists on 10 to 17 from the field, 4 or 5 from 3-point range. So the 3-point shot was way better. And 4-4 from the free throw line, just continually pouring it on from the gate. 10 points in the first quarter at 19 by the half. Nine points in the second half, but Miami had a strong lead, so it was not as needed, and then he obviously didn't play much uh, late into the fourth quarter when the Heat actually managed to close out this game properly. Interesting stats. Uh, this one, unlike the, the Wolves game, like there, there's some very clear areas you could point to for why Miami won this one. First, uh, the three-point shooting. Miami won that shooting 15-29, of 29, good for 52%, to the Magic's 9-36, of 36, 25%. Like, you ask, you tell any NBA fan, right? One team shot 50% from three, the other team shot 25%. The team that shot 50% is probably winning the game. 
And then to add on to it, Miami also won the free throw battle, uh, going 20-24 from the free throw line, good for 83%, versus the Magic's 15-19, good for 79%. So, you know, plus five on free throw attempts. So, despite the Heat having six less field goal attempts than the Magic, for the most part, they cruised through this game on really great three-point shooting and free throw shooting. And then honorable mention, uh, before we get out of this one, uh, Josh Richardson went 4 of 8 from 3-point range. Haywood Highsmith going 4 of 9 from 3-point range. They were huge additions alongside Heroes 4 of 5. That's 12 of Miami's 15 3-pointers coming from those three players. And in total, Miami had 7 players in double-figure scoring in that Magic game. So able to spread it around pretty nicely as well. Let's keep it going, though. After being at Orlando last Wednesday, the Heat would return to host the Atlanta Hawks last Friday, a game that the Heat won 122-113. to Quick look at the injury report. Kevin Love will be back for this, so the Heat would go nine deep, that 10th spot being Jimmy Butler, who still was out, so Jaime Jaquez uh, would continue to start. Recap for the game. Miami jumped out to an early 15-3 lead, though they did give up some of that, only being up seven after the first in the second quarter, Bogdan Bogdanovich for the Atlanta Hawks. I got to beat him one time. R- really nice when I met him. But back to the game, though. Bogdanovich powered the Hawks in the second quarter, helping to tie the Heat a few times so the Heat would be up two at the half, at least. Uh, then third quarter, Hawks came out really strong, going on a 13-0 run coming out the gate, but Miami responded with an 11-0 run of their own to tie the game. Heat were able to get back up to two going into the fourth. Third quarter ended up being a wash. And then the fourth quarter itself... Duncan Robinson comes alive for the Miami Heat, building and maintaining separation throughout the fourth quarter as the Heat eventually cruise to a nine-point win. And we're going to start right there because player of the game is Duncan Robinson. Finished with 27 points, three rebounds, three assists with one steal on 8 of 11 for the field, 4 of 7 from three-point range, 7 of 7 from the free throw line, but a team-high plus 14 and doing 21 of his 27 points of damage in the fourth quarter to help secure the win for Miami. Like, he single-handedly turned the fourth quarter and therefore the game around for the Heat. Uh, Quick stats for this one. Very similar to the Magic, Miami won this game with better three-point shooting, going 17-39, good for 44% from from three-point range, to the Hawks 19-54, 35%. So the Hawks, to their credit, they did make more three-pointers than Miami, but they did so on plus 15 <laughs> attempts, like an absurd amount. But Miami really did most of their damage at the free-throw line. Heat going 25 of 30 from the free-throw line, good for 83%, to the Hawks 10 of 14, good for 71%. So, what, plus 11 on free-throw attempts? No, sorry, plus 16 on free-throw attempts at a better percentage. So even though the Heat had 10 less field goal attempts than the Hawks, again, better three-point shooting, much better work at the free-throw line, that more than made up the difference. And then honorable mention for this game, uh, Tyler Hero, 30 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, on 11 of 21 from the field, 7 of 13 from three-point range, 1 of 2 from the free-throw line. Really debated between giving him the player of the game, but, I mean, 21 points in the, four, in the fourth quarter for Duncan Robinson secured it for me. Um, and then Jaime Jaquez, 19 points, 7 rebounds, 1 assist, a steal, a block, on 7-14 from the field, 1-1 uh, one one from 3-point range, 4-5 from the free-throw line. Like, again, those two young players for Miami contributing well, and then combine that with Duncan Robinson, and yep, you got yourself a Miami Heat win. And now let's finish this up talking about the Christmas Day game. Miami hosted the Philadelphia 76ers in a game that they won 119-113. to 
looking at the injury report going into this game, it was not the star-studded matchup we had been planning for, at least. Uh, Jimmy Butler out for the Miami Heat, as well as Josh Richardson for back, Haywood for illness. Uh, Caleb Martin would also get an uh, ankle sprain throughout the game, so he would miss the entire second half. And then for the Sixer side of things, uh, they would be without Joel Embiid. And they would have Tyrese Maxey technically, but he like he just had an absolute no-show of a game. So <laughs> he might as well just have been out. But recap for this game. Heat fell down early 12-21 in the first quarter, but responded by tightening down their defense and finishing the first on a 14-1 run and a four-point lead going into the second. Their Heat kept the momentum going, starting on an 8-0 run to be up 12, but the Sixers trimmed it to 7. Then the Heat countered with a 10-0 run to be up 14 going into the half. Feeling pretty good there. And then they started the third on a 7-0 run to be up 14 at the half. Then third quarter, Heat started out on a 7-0 run to be up 21, and then in you know typical third quarter fashion, they gave up a 20-4 run that got the Sixers back in and eventually tied the game at 86 going into the fourth. The fourth quarter itself, very contested, saw the score tied at 99 halfway through, and then from there, the Heat, they just kind of composed themselves a bit better and just steadily, again, no major runs or anything, they just steadily pushed their lead up and up until they had that separation, eventually winning by six. Player of the game, this one's going to Jaime Jaquez Jr. Career high, 31 points, 10 rebounds, 1 assist with 2 steals on 11 of 15 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3-point range, 8 of 8 from the free throw line. Scored a little bit each quarter. Uh, then finished with 10 points in the fourth quarter to help secure the win. Just made tons of hustle, smart plays, like grabbed offensive rebounds, uh, attacked and transitioned well. Again, like, for a rookie, this guy is so far ahead of where he should be. Even for an older, like, I understand he had four years in college. Even accounting for that, he's still way ahead of where he should be. And, yeah, Miami, just they just got a steal here. And he showed it on Christmas Day. Uh, stats for this game, they did lose the three-point battle on volume, going 12-32, good for 38%, versus the Sixers, 17-45, also 38%, but, you know, they made five less three-pointers that way. And the Heat did lose a turnover battle as well, 14-7. to Just Philly was not turning the ball over at all. But they crushed them in free-throw attempts, twenty-seven, uh, going 27-35, good for 77%, to the Sixers, 16-25, Good for 64%, so that's, what, plus 11 on made uh, free throws. And then they also crushed uh, the Sixers on offensive rebounds, 13-5, to and a good number of those coming from Jaime Jaquez. That's how he got to his uh, double-double with the 10 rebounds. And it paid off big for Miami to get the, those good second chances. And then honorable mentions for this game, uh, Bam Adebayo, 26 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists with 3 blocks, 9-15 uh, from the field, 8-12 from the free throw line. Just having one of those crazy stat lines where it's like, oh, we got to go look up historical to see who this compares to. And it's like, oh, it's all Hall of Famers. <laughs> so great day for Bam Adebayo, looking much better in control compared to, say, like the previous Monday where he was a little bit out of control. I think at times against the Timberwolves looked more in control uh, this Monday. And then other honorable mention, Duncan Robinson, 16 points, most of that coming from 5 of 10 uh, on three-pointers, and a team high plus 26. So Duncan just continuing to do positive things this season for the team. Love to see it. Overall, it's a great week that has Miami well-positioned as the new year approaches.
So originally this week I had planned to do a bit along the lines of like Christmas gifts, like, hey, what did the Heat want for Christmas? But then I thought like, well, we also have New Year's coming up and there's New Year's resolutions and Christmas gifts slash New Year's resolution bit. Yeah, kind of touched on the same thing. You're just looking for things hopeful that they do going forward or good things that happen to them going forward. So I figured instead I would just wrap that all together. That will be done next week. So this week, what I decided to do is just look back at the last year of, of Miami Heat basketball. And it is cheating a little bit to a degree because you're kind of cutting it in half with, you know, half of the 2022 to 23 season and the beginning half of the 23-24 season. But but still, I think it it does kind of come interestingly full circle from, from where we were to start 2023. So to, to bring us all the way back there, uh, coming out of 2023, we started the year just scraping by to get over 500. Like literally, I think at most we'd had a game, maybe two over 500 to start that 22 to 23 season. It was bleak to start. But the Heat had at least gotten themselves back over 500 and were trending in the right direction. And then the trade deadline came uh, early February, and there was a lot of speculation, uh, myself included, about you know what kind of trades the Heat would make, specifically to address the power forward position. Because at the time, Caleb Martin was the starting forward. He felt a little undersized. you know. So we're talking like P.J. Washington or John Collins um, or maybe even Jay Crowder. And there was all this talk, and it had amounted to nothing. The only move the Miami Heat ended up making at the trade deadline was getting off of Dwayne Dedman, which was in itself a, a uh, addition by subtraction just because of how bad Dedman had been for the Heat. Oh, yeah, that's right. Last January was the, the massage gun incident where he knocked a massage gun onto a live basketball court, and that pretty much was the end of his time with the Heat organization. That also happened this year. So he got off of him, and that seemed to be about it, and there was some concerns about the Heat just folding the season. And then they went and uh, made some good additions in the buyout market with Kevin Love and Cody Zeller. Uh, Cody Zeller to help replace the backup spot that Dwayne Dedman had vacated. And then Kevin Love just, you know, inject some some size at the four, some leadership, a great locker room presence as it would turn out. And then things would start to at least move in a positive direction for a little while. Though it would not be enough of a positive direction to get Miami where they wanted to be, which was out of the play-in tournament. Uh, at the time, they were really competing with the Brooklyn Nets. And in particular, I remember a late March game where they just got obliterated by the Nets that essentially secured them being the seventh seed in the play-in tournament. And then to make things worse, despite hosting the Atlanta Hawks, a team that the Heat had their number throughout not only the previous season, because that was uh, the 2022 yeah, 2022 playoffs is where they beat the Hawks in the first round. And then they, they handled them pretty well throughout the 2022-23 to 23 season. And then they just got worked on the boards in that playing game against Atlanta, dropping that first game, taking them to the brink against the Chicago Bulls, a team they had not beaten last year, uh, for the eighth seed in the playoffs. And again, that was a game. Miami was down, how, what were they, like eight or nine or so in the fourth quarter. And it looked like the season was going to be over. And then Max Struess came alive and did just enough for the Heat to overcome the Bulls and get the eight seed. And that that was probably the low points of the 23 year, at least for me as a Heat fan. Because it was like, all right, what do I really have to look forward to? Okay, we're going to go get waxed by the Bucks, maybe win a game or two. Meh. And, and I was not alone with this. You, you, you talked to any... Anybody that covered the Heat 
through that 22 to 23 season. And they were, they all, I bet, would have said the same thing. Like, yeah, the Heat are just going to get worked in the playoffs and that'll be it. And then all of us were very pleasantly, happily surprised when the Heat ripped off an all-time revenge tour through the East. First, going up against the Milwaukee Bucks. And it always does need to be mentioned that uh, Giannis did get hurt in Game 1, was out Game 2 and 3, and then came back looking a little hobbit in 4 and 5. But with that part aside, the Heat beat the shit out of the Bucks. Jimmy Butler was a God-destroying monster, and there was no stopping the Heat in what was what, the 3rd or 4th 8th seed upsetting a 1st seed in NBA history. And then they and then they had the, the Knicks in the second round, the old 90s rival, and honestly, like, that shouldn't even have gone to six if Jimmy Butler doesn't mess up his ankle in game one, miss game two. They could have swept the Knicks in four if Jimmy had been healthy or if Scott Foster hadn't rigged game two for the Knicks. And then the Eastern Conference Finals up against the Boston Celtics, third time in four years. The, the 3% memes where the ESPN analytics was giving Miami a 3% chance to win the series. Going up 3-0. All the the Jimmy Butler timeouts. Love that meme. Then the Heat screwing it up by giving up game four and five, expecting to win game six. The Derek White shot in game six that that had a lot... Again, had a lot of Heat people. We could be, be, hey, we got this, rah, rah, rah. But any team that goes up 3-0 and then the series is tied 3-3, there's only one thing on their mind. Please don't be that first team to to blow a 3-0 lead. Fortunately for the Heat... They would put that all to bed by just working the Celtics in Game 7. To a degree, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll let the, the argument about uh, Tatum's ankle stand just the same I would for Giannis's injury. The end result is the Heat still won. Go, then they went to the NBA Finals after an improbable run. They did run into a giant Serbian wall in Nikola Jokic in the NBA Finals. So they did fall short of the goal of winning a championship. But still, like, looking back at that run through the East, I mean, what was it, second eight seed to ever make the finals. Uh, And then not only, again, the rivalries of it all, right? Bucks, that was third time in four years. Celtics, that was third time in four years. Knicks, that was a 90s rivalry. So they literally won three rivalries throughout the East uh, before making it to the finals. That's just Again, like, I'm going to look back at that 10 years from now and be like, dang, that was still a lot of fun at least. And after all that, we pretty much immediately went into the summer of Dame. Damian Lillard makes his trade request from the Portland Trailblazers, specifically asking to go to the Miami Heat, which kicks off a whole summer of of talk, especially because um, trade negotiations stalled and essentially it went you know, kind of on hibernation for about, what, two, three months? Yeah, it was about late July to about late September that it was just speculation and memos were sent out and agents were reprimanded and talks to here. And ultimately, it did end up with the Heat kind of getting screwed, doubly so, because the Blazers not only sent Dame to the Bucks, which is a team that, A, is Miami's competitor, and B, even if the Bucks wanted to move on from Damian Lillard, they would not send him to the Miami Heat because they're competitors. And then the Blazers also did the other shank in the back by uh, taking Drew Holiday from the Bucks and flipping him to the Celtics. So improving Miami's two rivals in the East rather than do what 
their franchise player wanted and get him to the team he wanted. Hey, I'll, I'll save that for the Blazers, to the fans to talk about. But in the end, Miami may have ended up being just fine. And where I'm going to finish this talk is about the emergence of Miami's next core that has really shown, I think, over the first few months of this season. So we already knew we had Bam Adebayo, a legitimate two-way force, defensive player of the year on one end, and then you always just try to see the growth on the offensive end. It's still been there this year, especially his aggression. His mid-range jumper is looking really good, and that's becoming a legitimate weapon, so now he can draw fouls with it, he can use it to set up blow-bys, or he can literally just use it as a counter for if anybody ever sags off of him. It's incremental improvement for Bam at this point year over year, but he's also at the level where incremental improvement is the difference between all-star and all-NBA. Then after Bam, you already knew we had Tyler Hero as well. He, t- I mean, Tyler Hero, man, i, I got to give him a lot of credit for all the trade rumors he's been in since his rookie season. And yet, like with Bam, he's just continued to improve every year and, and try to show that he should be an untradeable uh, really taken a step this season as an elite scorer. He's been around like 25 a game, shooting the three well, getting to the floater mid-range well. Still doesn't quite get to the basket as much as you would like for a top-tier scorer. And maybe like an Anthony Edwards, just to, since we talked about him earlier. But as an off-ball threat spacing the floor, or as an on-ball threat maybe running pick-and-roll with Bam Adebayo, like, I, I see it. I, I see where this guy could, could still be even better. But the real surprise and what I think makes this a legitimate next core for the Miami Heat has been Jaime Jaquez. And it, it kind of is interesting how, you know, you had the summer of Dame and very under the radar, how the Heat just drafted Jaquez at 18th. They said a lot of good stuff. He showed some interesting stuff at the summer league. And again, like all the talks positive. But then he actually started to play the games. And like I mentioned earlier, th- this guy is so advanced. It's so good already that it, it is tantalizing to think what he could be with a few more years of development. To me, he is now like the heir apparent in, in both role on the team, but also like his own mentality and the way that he approaches the game. He's the heir apparent to Jimmy Butler, which works out really well for Miami. Like they have already had a contending level core for the last four years, primarily around Bam and Jimmy. And then, you know, Duncan helps out and Hero helps out. You contributions, right? Ensemble beyond just uh, Bam and Jimmy. But now you could have Bam, you know, fully realized. He's probably your best player on the contending team. And then you would have Hero and Hawkes. And depending upon how Hawkes develops, he may even be able to uh, fight for Tyler for being that second best player on a contending team. Or maybe even vaults all the way to first. Or maybe Hero vaults up to first because he takes a, an even bigger offensive leap. But... The, Point there being, though, is the Heat are set up for years to come. And looking back, 2023 was a pretty crazy roller coaster, up and down, but ultimately fun year to be a Miami Heat fan. Our fun little trip down memory lane over. Now it's time to look ahead to the next week for Miami Heat basketball. As usual, let's first look at the injury report, see where the Heat stand health-wise. Uh, Jimmy Butler still listed day-to-day with that left calf sprain that's had him out the last, what, one, two, three games. Uh, Josh Richardson listed day-to-day with the back injury. Hayward Highsmith also day-to-day with illness. And then Caleb Martin day-to-day with that right ankle sprain he suffered uh, Monday. So no major updates, but nothing long-term at least. 
so this is a relatively light week for Miami. They only have two games before I would do my next podcast next Monday. Uh, but it is the start of a five-game West road trip. So that part is going to be challenging. And it will start at the Golden State Warriors tomorrow, Thursday. This is a Warriors team that will be the first of two meetings with them. And the team has an overall 15-15 record. They've been kind of struggling lately to to get up to 500. Again, kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, how the Heat felt this time last year. Uh, looking at the injury report for the Warriors, uh, Gary Payton II is listed day-to-day, so he might be available for that game tomorrow. And then Draymond Green is still out several weeks, uh, at least because of the suspension, because dude just can't stop hitting people, I guess. Uh, looking at the players to watch out for in the Warriors, the first one's obviously going to be Steph Curry, uh, arguably the greatest three-point shooter of all time. Defending him is a team thing, and even then, he's probably going to torture you for a three for a few three-pointers that'll just make you think, just, just what the hell am I doing? Uh, but also for the Warriors, Clay Thompson, who has had a good string of games lately, scoring-wise, and then, too, I'm interested in what the matchup will be like between Bam Adebayo and Kavon Looney because I know Looney likes to attack the boards, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, can Bam, you know, keep him boxed out and mitigate his impact on rebounding. Uh, looking at the stats for this game, the Warriors, they're 12th in offensive rating, 15th in defensive rating, so kind of middle of the pack for both, though a little bit better on the offense. Um, looking at positive things the Warriors do, 4th in 3-point attempt rate, 3rd in offensive rebounding percentage, Ninth in opponent effective field goal percentage. So for the Heat, you know, you know, try to take away the positives, right? Limit threes, but that's, that can be a little tricky with Curry. Do the work on the boards. That's where I think that Looney-Bam matchup comes in really important. And then keep passing the ball around. You know, don't try to take good shots. Try to take great shots and maybe see if you can have a better uh, field goal percentage against them. Things that the Warriors do bad, though, that I think the Heat could really pick on. Uh, Warriors 23rd in turnover percentage. Heat love to turn over other teams and win the turnover battle. Uh, 28th in opponent free throw rate. Heat love to get to the free throw line, so they they might be able to get to the free throw line very well. Um, 18th in effective field goal percentage themselves, despite being 8th in field goal attempts, meaning that the Warriors are doing a little more shot chucking and not as much shot making uh, this season. So... The Heat can lean on two strengths with the turnover battle and getting to the free throw line and let the Warriors shoot a bunch of bad shot attempts. A storyline for this game. What's been most interesting about the Warriors, I think, lately has been how, despite losing Draymond Green for uh, several weeks of suspension, they were able to patch together like a four or five game winning streak that got them back to 500. Though they did lose on Christmas Day to the the Nuggets, it kind of becomes a question now of like, is this sustainable? Like, is this something that they're actually doing positively? Like, is it addition by subtraction, uh, getting rid of green? Or is this just something temporary, a little smoke and mirrors until the league starts to adjust to what the Warriors look like without Draymond Green? We'll get a first-hand look ourselves uh, tomorrow night. And then to finish up this week, uh, Miami will be at the Utah Jazz this Saturday. This is a Jazz team. It will be the first of, of two meetings with them. And they have a 13-18 overall record. Looking at the injury report, there is nobody listed for the Jazz right now. I, I will only leave it there because the last time I, I tried to say they were all healthy, it turns out that ESPN just didn't update that LaMelo Ball was out. But players to watch out for on the Utah Jazz. The number one's going to be Laurie Markkinen. Just really big dude, really great shooter. Scores well, effective. I mean, but then that's about it. Um, 
John Collins, maybe. Like, he, he's had a few good games against the Heat as part of the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, but he's a little inefficient, so you might just want to let him do his thing. That, that's about it. Like This is a Jazz team that, that is you know, for sure bad. Uh, looking at the stats for this team, the Jazz are 23rd in offensive rating, 24th in defensive rating. I think that's a good way to illustrate that they're just not a great team. Um, they are, so positive things the Jazz do. They are first in offensive rebounding percentage, fifth in opponent free throw rate, and then eighth in three-point attempt rate, though they are 21st in three-point percentage. So they do do a good job on the boards. That's where you want Miami to lean in, into that part of, yeah, they were like fourth in defensive rebounding percentage or something like that. You want them to lean into that and to try to tamper down on the second chance points for the Jazz. Don't expect to get to the line against them as much. That, that's that fifth in opponent free throw rate. And then know that they're going to get a lot of threes up, though they may not make a lot of them. For things that the Jazz do badly, first up, 29th in turnover percentage. So that that should be, I mean, Miami loves to win the turnover battle. So kind of like with the Warriors, they should win this one as well. Uh, the Jazz are 23rd in their own effective field goal percentage. So they are not taking great quality shots or, not, or at least not converting them at a good rate. That should bode well for Miami's defense. And then the Jazz are 25th in opponent effective field goal percentage. So teams are shooting really well against them. Miami's been on a, a good shooting kick lately. It's, you know, it's same thing with the Warriors, right? Turn good to great shots, convert them. This should not be a hard game. Uh, Storyline for this, the Jazz are a, in a rebuilding year. Can the Heat take advantage of that to pick up an easy win? Most of the time this season, they've been able to do that. Like, a, a lot of their wins are based off of just beating the bad teams in front of them. But then conversely, uh, I would say probably at least half of their losses are losing to bad teams on just stupid stuff, uh, like trap games. So, after this, though, the Heat will be at the Clippers the following Monday to continue their road trip, but I will preview that on the next podcast. And then we'll also do New Year's resolutions. What do we want from, from each Heat player going into the new year? But I do thank you for hanging around. That'll be all for this episode. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at KBR Heat Culture off of X Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Also, check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball off of X Twitter. Uh, you can also check out Sussex Wire, Brooklyn Buzz, uh, Full Access Pacers, Corey Waldron. They all do great work. Links for everything are on the show notes as usual. I'll be back next week. So until then, I hope you all have a happy New Year's and a good one, Heat Nation.